Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. This is episode number eight, which is titled Our Off-Grid Sustainable Family. Now, I just wanted to start this episode by telling you a story about how I actually built my first log cabin when I was 10 years old. Now, I know that sounds incredible, but it is actually completely true. I grew up in southeastern Tennessee and northern Georgia, and I had two working farms in the family, and I used to commonly spend summers on one of those uh, family farms. I learned all about raising animals for food, planting a garden, hunting, fishing, and even foraging for food. My father taught me from a very early age about being out in nature and appreciating the natural world for what it was. That is something that has always stuck with me even as an adult. It was not long before I decided what I wanted to do was to live in the mountains and to build my own log cabin. But I was 10 years old. I had no knowledge, no experience, and of course no money. So I started reading about how to build log cabins, the type of wood to use, how to notch the logs and fit them together in order to to build a stable structure. I even studied fireplace design and how to build a chimney that would draw smoke properly. So with a little trial and error, I managed to construct a fireplace out of mud and gravel, believe it or not, and would keep a fire that would draw smoke properly. So now, after my little period of experimentation, with this knowledge in hand, I decided to practice my skills and build my first log cabin. So here I was, 10 years old, armed with only a large pile of sticks, a pocket knife, and of course my homemade fireplace, and I decided to start construction. So I first peeled the logs, so to speak, and then I cut them to length and meticulously notched them in order to fit tightly around my little fireplace. I completed my cabin construction complete with windows, roof beams, a door, a fireplace, and even a thatched roof made of grass just of course for an added effect. Now while most of you may think that that's somewhat of a silly story and and maybe it is, But that is not the end of the story, because 25 years later, I purchased 46 acres in the mountains of Colorado and repeated my same cabin construction. But this time, I of course was working with real logs and a chainsaw and of course numerous framing tools. I harvested the timber from the property and I built a true log cabin. And in my mind, This was the accomplishment of a lifelong dream. Now, if this sounds incredible, then I would encourage you to go to my blog, which is offgridlivingnews.com, and I have a post that shows you exactly how I built the log cabin. Now, that was in 1996, and most of the time since that time, I have lived off the grid. But now there are two cabins on the property, as well as a barn for raising chickens and turkeys, a woodshed, 
and a 600 square foot greenhouse. And not only that, Annette, who has been with me for almost 15 years, also lives there with me with her son. And that is the topic of this episode, our off-grid sustainable family. Now, I really wanted to do an episode like this because I, of course, talk a lot about living off the grid and sustainability, but I also wanted to make this a little more personal. I essentially wanted to prove to my listeners that this is the real deal for me. This is truly how I live and what I do. So with all that said, I want to introduce Annette. Now, Annette, we have been together for almost 15 years, right? Yes. But we have not always lived on the property together. At first, there was only a small log cabin, and Eric, of course, at the time was was really young when we first met. So what I want to do is perhaps talk about how we came to live here and how things progressed into our living here as a family and having a sustainable lifestyle. Annette, what did you think after we had been together for a little while and you first came up to the cabin? Well, I loved it. I loved coming up here because... I've always wanted to live somewhere in nature. I didn't always like living around people for various reasons, so this was perfect and something that I'd always wanted to do myself, so it was great. But at the time, there of course, there was no electricity, no running water or anything. It was just a small log cabin, right? So. How did you feel about that? I actually loved the log cabin. Uh, That was something that I really enjoyed about the property. But more than that, it was the fact that we had no neighbors and there was wildlife everywhere. So, you know, in the end, there are a lot of people and we're not and I'm not talking about just women. A lot of people in general who just would not want to live like this. So let's talk for a minute about the limitations of this property. What what about the road? Tell me a little bit about the road. Well, the road is a little bit narrow and steep. Um, I don't have a problem with it because I've always loved going out into the mountains and four-wheeling. So it's not a problem for me, but it would be a problem for some people. So how many times do we actually have people wander up to the property to see us, even in dry condition? Not very often. But we do have a few friends, right? We do. We have a few loyal friends that will come up regularly. But, you know, as we're recording this podcast episode, it's right in the middle of January, and the road is fairly icy, and it requires four-wheel drive and chains. So that produces a little bit of a challenge um, as far as wintertime access and tell me how often is it you actually have to walk or snowshoe up the road? Um, Not very often if we're home to plow the road but last winter I was hiking up the road quite frequently because we were gone for a couple of months so that's a challenge. 
Yes, folks, there are times when, you know, we love the homestead, but we, of course, will leave sometimes for a couple months, especially in the winter, because there are other things and other interests that we have, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But it's, um, you know, besides the road and the wintertime access, um, what about our water situation? Let's talk a little bit about that. Well, of course, with the road being what it is, a well-drilling truck cannot make it up and could not. So with those limitations in mind, we had to get creative and we actually have to haul water up our road. But I actually enjoy the water much more than I would drinking city water because we filter our own water. So what she's talking about there, folks, is that we have a gravity-fed filtration system where um, we actually produce purified drinking water for less than three cents a gallon. And we're talking about, of course, just plain raw stream water that goes into this filtration system. So one important thing to remember, folks, about our water system is we are producing purified water without the addition of any chemicals, which actually means a lot to us as far as sustainability goes. And now, what about, Annette, what about our availability of electricity? How do we deal with that? Well, um, it was cost prohibitive to have electricity wired up here because we're so rural, um, the traditional way. So, Patrick actually took course and learned how to install solar electricity and that is what we run our entire household off of. Are there ever times that we actually run out of electricity so to speak? Yes. But why is that? Mostly because we live modernly and have access to the internet that uses a lot of electricity. You know, we have animals that require heat, so the chickens require heated waterers, and sometimes if it's too cloudy for too long, we'll lose electricity. But we do have backup systems, right? Yes, we do. So it's not like we're, you know, living like cave people or anything, right? No, not at all. We still have amenities and so forth, but in, in the middle of the winter, especially January, when the days are really short, we really do have to pay attention to how much electricity we use. And, you know, I get in the habit of checking the weather, watching cloud formations, believe it or not, looking at how the sun tracks through the sky. And this is just a way of life for us because we want to be off the grid and managing our resources as much as possible. And, you know, It is, of course, not perfect, but neither is living in the city. So the, you know, the interesting fact, and the truth is I bought this property in 1996, and we have no neighbors, so to speak. Well, I should say no human neighbors. But we do have to deal with wildlife, right, Annette? Correct. So we actually see more wild critters than people. Yes. So what did we have circling around our property in the last couple of weeks? Oh, in the last couple of weeks, we've had a mountain lion. 
We've had a couple coyotes that we saw just this morning, in fact. And in the summertime, we of course, we see moose, elk. Occasionally, we'll see bighorn sheep. And for years, we actually had a fox that we saw on a regular basis for, what, probably six or seven years, maybe? Yes. And then I think she actually found a little mate and decided to run off on her own. But we we do have wildlife encounters on a regular basis. And sometimes going out at night, you just simply have to use caution. But in my opinion, most people have to do that in the city. So moving on to a little bit of, uh, of a different topic, um, there was a time when I also had a house in South Carolina and for one reason or another, things having to do with family and so forth, we actually went there for a while. And then Annette came down with her son, Eric. And um, But you were still in college at the time, right? Correct. So you transferred to the University of South Carolina for some time. But very soon after you graduated, what happened then? I actually got offered a job at a university in a Caribbean island called St. Kitts um, and its neighboring island, Nevis. And so anyway, you took the job and and what were you doing with them? I was actually teaching anesthesia to veterinary students at the veterinary school. So... um, that was a great experience for two years because we had always talked about living outside of the country and now we had an opportunity to make money and do that. Oh yeah, and that <clears throat> turned out to be quite a great adventure for all of us. But anyway, we can talk about more about that later. But prior to that, we had already started construction on the, on the new cabin and I, I think that was about a year or two prior. Is that, is that right? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. So the, the purpose of that, of course, was so that we could all live there together. Um, so anyway, you got offered the job in St. Kitts, and we went there, or you guys went there initially. And I, of course, um, had to sell the house or put the house in South Carolina on the market because for one reason or another, we were all kind of sick of being there in the first place. So I put the house on the market, and it actually sold before you guys even finished the drive cross country back to Colorado, which was which was fantastic, of course. You went to St. Kitts on this fabulous job to teach anesthesia with the veterinary school, and then I went back to Colorado to finish the cabin. So I was in Colorado, I think, for about six months, and then I came down for a visit, and I decided to take a little bit of a sabbatical, And I remember you kept trying to convince me to go to the veterinary school, right? Yes. And why did I not want to go? You just didn't want to have to have a full-time job with someone again. But they were pushing and pushing and pushing, so... So I eventually went on campus, met the dean, of course, and within an hour got offered a job. And I ended up coming back to the States and getting my work permit straightened out. And then I was in St. Kitts for about eight or nine months. Once my contract over, my contract job was over in St. Kitts, I then returned to Colorado. And as Annette had mentioned earlier, 
I actually took an extensive class in solar design and installation and that was when the solar was installed and for the first time we actually had electricity, a 500 gallon water cistern, hot running water and now we're finally at the point where life was really starting to improve. So then Annette, you returned from St. Kitts. What, what year was that? 2017. It was the summer of 2017. Okay, so now Eric is no longer in public school and because we lived remotely then he of course had to to still of course stay in school. So how did we solve that challenge? Right, so in St. Kitts he was in private school but returning to the states and to our off-grid property um, Schooling was a challenge, so we decided to homeschool him. He does online homeschool, which in the time of COVID, he was a step ahead because he already knew how to do school like that. So now, of course, with the full electricity, we had satellite internet installed. And although that has its own challenges, but for the most part, we're able to solve those problems and now he is in school on a regular basis despite us living in the middle of nowhere. Correct. Here we are living off the grid, basically in the middle of the forest, where we have more encounters with wildlife than we do people, yet we are talking more and more about living sustainably. Now, speaking of living sustainably, we, of course, live at high elevation, and the winters are really long. And do you remember when you first started talking to me about having a greenhouse? Yes. So, at the time, what was it that you wanted? Just a little greenhouse. Small. Something that I could extend the growing season for plants so that we could start growing more of our own food. And what was it that we built? Um excavated a huge area for the current earth sheltered greenhouse that we have but we also but we ended up with what about 600 square feet of growing space correct that is at 10,000 feet elevation and I think total cost for the greenhouse was maybe five or six thousand dollars and that included the cost of excavation and yet, greenhouses of this size, I have seen online for probably around $15,000. And then, of course, there are the chickens and the turkeys. So we built a barn for raising them, and it is what we call the chicken fortress. And why is that? Well, because even though they're free-range chickens, they need to be protected from predation, which we have encountered and have lost mass amounts of animals. So they now have a fenced in area that's top fenced. Their barn is secured at night so they're closed in and safe from any predators. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty safe from everything. So yeah, folks, if you could really see photographs of the chicken barn. It's more like the, the Fort Knox of chicken barns for various reasons. And yes, we had some hard lessons to learn 
about raising animals and things for food at this elevation and living remotely, of course, and having to deal with the wildfire. Here we are, years into our sustainable living project. We now have electricity, easy hot showers, we raise turkeys and chickens, have a 600 square foot greenhouse. We still have no neighbors, of course. And we travel and move out of the country and we kind of sort of do what we want. But the end result of that, Annette, is that people look at us sometimes and think, well, you guys must be rich, right? Because you do all these things. Right. What do people not realize? They don't realize that this has taken a lot of planning, years and years of working full-time to, to design this lifestyle that we want. And every all the construction was paid for in cash, right? There was never any mortgage except for the land. Correct. And consequently, that brings us close to a point of being completely debt-free. And that is why we are both essentially self-employed and we can more or less within reason do what we want. Right. So let's talk for a minute about some of the other things that we like to do. And of course, we are both actually scuba diving instructors, but that was actually Annette's idea years ago, right? Yes. You were trying to get me to go scuba diving, and I was like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. And you kept pushing and pushing, right? Right. I've always wanted to do it. Um, It took a trip to Hawaii and snorkeling to reinforce it. Um, It's another way that I can support being sustainable and taking care of the things that I care about. So now, I think it was, what, five or six years into our scuba diving career, so to speak, that we actually became certified instructors. Yes. Since we've been doing this now for several years, we're now starting to take ourselves in a little bit of a different direction. So one of the things for me, of course, was to publish this podcast because I wanted to just start doing something different. But Annette, can you talk for a minute about our retreats and what we are starting to do there? Yes, Um, we are going to start doing off-grid wellness retreats, which include part of my yoga business and mindfulness training. But to me, they're not separate things. Part of yoga is being connected to everything around you. Part of shamanism is being connected to everything around you. And what better place to do that than where we live? Exactly, because 20 plus years into having this property, we still have no neighbors. And we have friends come up. And they're always amazed at how quiet and peaceful it is here. And, you know, and I realized a few years ago that I could live like this on my property all the time. But if I really wanted to make an impact, it was trying to share that experience with other people and teach people the skills of sustainability and mindfulness and how each person really can improve their lifestyle. So what we really want to do is to start doing this on a full-time basis, right? Right. 
So we're talking about teaching people the skills of sustainability, off-grid living, engage them in yoga and mindfulness training, and retreats and progress this business to a full-time endeavor. Okay, folks, in closing, we're just coming to the end of this episode. Annette, do you have any further comments for our audience? Well, I started my yoga business, which is the Saint Yoga, with the idea that everything's connected. I didn't want a brick-and-mortar business, a typical yoga studio. I wanted wellness training without the walls and with connection to the earth, which is what this is all about to begin with. And exactly, and that's kind of how we live, right? Correct. We have a sustainable lifestyle, and yes, the cabins, they're small, but they are sufficient for our needs, and we spend a tremendous amount of time outdoors, and that is sort of our sustainable and wellness activities without the walls, as Annette so adeptly put. So, okay, folks, that's it for today. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. The whole purpose of this episode was, of course, to bring in Annette and for us to have a discussion about how we live and what it is that we do. I really wanted you to know most of our story and know how this is truly the real deal and this is how we live every day. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this episode. And again, if you want a transcript, then go to the blog post that's associated with this episode. So to do that, you can you can go to offgridlivingnews.com and click on the podcast link and scroll down and look for episode 8. And please, folks, don't forget, if you have enjoyed this material, then please subscribe to my blog, offgridlivingnews.com, as well as my podcast, Adventures in Sustainable Living. Well, that's it for now, folks. This is your host, Patrick, signing off. Have a fantastic week. And remember, always live sustainably.